Welcome to Rogue Bogues, the basketball series. Thanks for joining us for another week. And thanks for, your, for all the good feedback around the new segments, pros uh, railing of trainers and, and the Australian players of the week and just the rap of the Australian players. We hear you out there. Thanks for all the support and the feedback on, on liking those segments. They like you murdering trainers, pro. <laughs> Who doesn't like murdering fucking trainers, Vogues? Let's fucking be honest. I mean, they're, they're so easy to deal with. And, you know, it's funny that, but their their clients are fucking struggling shooting the ball, and they still want to work on their triple jab, fucking fadeaway, double pump, eurostep, fucking skyhook. You know. I hear. Get back. Get back to basics. Kiss. Keep it simple. Stupid. The old. The old. Uh, the old saying goes. But let's get. Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get right into this. Uh, team of the weeks for me, pro. I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got New Orleans. Ah. Uh, they've been playing really well lately. Uh, four straight, beat Denver just before we went live, which is a big, big win because Denver was second above them. Um, OKC, the Spurs, and Toronto were in their in their week this week. So look, OKC and this OKC can beat anyone on any given night, even though they're young and ta- young and talented. But they're not Houston young, young and talented. They're actually they can win some games. Spurs are terrible. Uh, Toronto are competitive, and Denver are really good. So a good mix of wins there. Four straight. Uh, Alvarado today. Uh, Ooh, 38, 30, was it 34 right? points, I believe. 38. I yeah, think it's 38. threes from everywhere. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I kind of was in the third quarter, middle of the fourth when I saw it. But, you know, he's generally a, a role player for them that obviously famous for sneaking up on people from behind and getting steals, real bulldog defensively, picks up your point guard, makes him work. For him to give you that kind of output, um, I, I don't think it's going to be on a consistent basis, but if you can get even 15 to 20 from him, that makes them even more dangerous. Um, yeah, he had 38, 6 or 7 from 3, no, sorry, 8 for 11 from 3, 6 or 7 from the free throw line, 12 for 19 from the field, managed to get a steal. Um, when I checked, it was the third quarter without a steal, so he must have snuck on, snuck up on someone in garbage time again. But uh, yeah, if he brings you that off the bench, he's been great. They're, they're well balanced. Tyson Daniels is, is is playing good minutes for him. He's actually starting for him at the moment. Um, next to McCollum, Valanciunas, Williamson, Trey Murphy, they started Dyson with uh, with Ingram in out of the lineup. They got great role players. Um, I think maybe they're, they're another piece from conference finals, I think. I feel like they maybe can make a little tweak in the offseason. Still don't know with this young roster, but I'm liking what I see from New Orleans, bro. Folks, they're tough. I mean, they're, they're really tough. They've got, you know, they don't have dominating, sort of like dominating the ball players, which you'd think it would be like. You watch Zion play, and I've been critical of Zion's play, you know, injury stuff, and then not being skilled where like he's the more most dominating unskilled player that I've ever seen. And he's gotten actually better with um, handling the ball. He still doesn't shoot it really well, but he really he can handle the ball pretty well. He's improved that for sure. And his shooting at times gets, gets a little bit better, but like with him and Ingram and McCollum and, you know, all the role players that they have, um, I, I'm really, I really enjoy watching them. Like even like Herbert Jones, Trey Murphy, like they, they really, they have a balanced group, but they've also got three guys that could spread you out with McCollum, Ingram and uh, Zion to be able to do their own thing. And then Valanchunas is a screen setter, not much of a defender, but a screen setter, smart player, you know, could score sort of in his own way. 
you know, bully you, and then they just come off the bench with, you know, decent shooting. Um, Alvarado just c- picks you up 94 feet. Um, and they're long, man. Like your point to Valanciunas not being the greatest. He's a big body. I mean, yeah. he's doing a good job going with his verticality. He's not going to set the world on fire defensively. No. But you don't really need to with the wings they have, man. Like no. Ingram, people forget Ingram's a great defender too, very, very long. Yeah. Um, you, you got Herb in there. You got, you know, a bunch of guys. Larry Nance Jr., super long uh, wingspan, like guys that can switch one through five long. They're getting deflections on on passes that they have no business being near. So um, I like him. I think, you know, that, that, and they have CJ McCullum. I mean, he's, he's not playing that well this season, but doesn't need to. But to have him in the playoffs as an ISO guy in an emergency is going to be valuable. And Ingram, both guys, he can get buckets off their own bat and Zion. So they're, they're, they're establishing themselves as a, as a big three, along with they probably might have the best role players in the league, bro, outside of their. If you look at every team that has a big two or big three or even big four, um, you look beyond them the role players that are helping for New Orleans, they've got a lot of guys that can help, man. You know, like I just said, Dyson Daniels, they've got, you know, Herb, they've got Valanciunas, they've got Devontae Graham can get hot in any given night, Larry Nance Jr., um, Najee Marshall, Alvarado, Herman Gomez, even Garrett, Garrett Temple's a serviceable veteran that can they can give you minutes in a playoff series in an emergency. So, and Jackson Hayes, um, he's not even playing at the moment. He's not getting minutes. So they have a lot of guys, a great role-playing team, very, very deep. So... Uh, looking forward to seeing how far they go. I still think they're a year or two away from re- making real noise in the playoffs. I think maybe they can get out of the first round, pop maybe sc- maybe scratch a second round, a uh, couple of wins in the second round. But I still don't see him getting over maybe a you know a Phoenix or a Golden State just yet. Um, but as the season goes on, they get more and more confidence. Who do you have this week, bro? Bogues, as as much as I shit on the Lakers, I'm going to give them a little bit of props. Eight out of the last ten, I get the Lakers. Um, you know, solid wins in the last the last week. You know, beating Washington, Milwaukee, big win where they they were calling, you know, they were calling Anthony Davis, Will Chamberlain wrapped in Bill Russell, wrapped in Michael Jordan for God's sakes, because because of his play against you know against Milwaukee, and then you know they lost that game against Indiana where I thought it was going to be a shitty week for them, but then they ended up beating Portland, Milwaukee, Washington today. Uh, they're playing well. Look, I- I'm still not a fan uh, of the team, but they are playing well. Um, you know, obviously LeBron and AD are sort of like video games. Russell, I think you made the point last couple weeks that he's been playing well in his role coming off the bench. Um, and, you know, guys like Lonnie Walker, you know, Austin Reeves is playing real well. And I'll, I'll tell you one one little stat, Bogues, you may not have noticed, but he is one of two players, him and Steph, for the, the 50-40-90 guys, um this year so far so i mean he's been efficient austin reeves wow. he's not a, yeah not a great player but like knows his role and i tell you it's fun it's fun watching players from like year one to year two to year three um when they get more confidence you know and i think that i think you could attest to the fact that if you don't have confidence i don't give a fuck how skilled you are how talented you are how you doing workouts and stuff you're not going to make it and, the, and it's funny he's he, he's showing this like cockiness to him that really, you know, really makes him a really good fifth option for them, you know, on any given, on any given night. And then even guys like Thomas Bryant, he's given them, you know, pretty good minutes. Um, you know, Toscano Anderson's really not there. Um, here's a stat, Bogues. I don't know if you're a big, and I'm not really a huge um, advanced stat guy, but like I put this into my database where I track it. Um 
for stat leaders, I do the box score plus minus, and Kendrick Nunn is the worst player like that gets like minutes. He's a 293rd in box score plus minus. So like I guess they do some formula where like they just sort of see how you affect the um the box score, you know, in your plus minus. He's at a minus eight point nine. So that's a sort of mm-hmm. a stat. No Jokic is the best in the league at eleven points, a plus eleven point six. Wow, okay. Yeah, but I think the Lakers. Awesome. Yeah, they yeah. they've been playing well. Uh, I don't give a fuck about the stat. I just thought it was interesting. But I, they're playing well, folks. I don't think they could beat good, really good teams consistently. But I think they played they played well the last couple of weeks. And you forgot to say that Anthony Davis today backed up that Milwaukee game with fifty five points and seventeen rebounds. I'm not sure if you caught that pro on your right arm from your workout, but uh, damn monster game. Tw- 22 from 30 from the field, two for three from three. His three balls come back. Um, it was horrible early on, and he's not shooting a huge volume of it. Uh, he was two for three today. He was two for three the game before. All he needs to do is knock down one, and it's amazing. For, I had this conversation with a friend of mine. For a guy that's not a great three-point shooter, he's still pretty well respected from three. Like He's not really getting those super dare threes, right? Even though he's shooting in the twenty percent, it's kind of interesting because you know you know that if, if Davis knocks down one and gets going, then it's pretty hard to guard because you got to close him out hard. He goes nine for nine from the, the free throw line, but yeah, seventeen rebounds in there. Russ also had fifteen assists in this game off the bench, which was key for him. Uh, LeBron had twenty nine, but um, big big win for them, smacking the the Wizards in Washington. And yeah, I mean Davis, if he plays like this and continues to. I mean, they've got a chance to get you know out of the out of the doldrums into a plains, maybe even a maybe even a six seven seed if if, if you're you know overachieving for the season. But Dave, I think it's Davis. I think LeBron can have his thirty point nights and whatever, but I think they go as far as Anthony Davis takes them. And I think they've got a good balance now. And there's some trade rumors floating around them as well. So we'll get to those a little bit later. But speaking of the Wizards, bro, they are my uh, my weak team of the, oh. the my weak team of the yeah mm-hmm. they they were. They've had a horrible uh, two weeks, actually. They're, they lost um, six of seven. They've lost. So I don't really, you know, this, this week wasn't awful as far as a losing streak by any means. They, it's not like they lost four straight or anything like that. But they just they just look out of sync. They, they kind of started the same way last season. They started really well, and, and now they've fallen off. Um, they've lost three straight now. Like I said, six or seven, and it just it just looks clunky. They just don't look like they're in sync. I think Beal might have got hurt today. Only played three or four minutes, so yeah, he did. That unfortunately, Beal gets hurt. You know, every every season with something, and he's just one of those guys that plays that way. Gets knocked to the floor a lot. Gets to the line a lot, but it's more their losses. You know, they lost to Charlotte. Um, who who are pretty easy beats this season. They play hard, but they're easy beats. Brooklyn can go either way, and and the Lakers. Um, so th- I think I think you know you look at the Lakers and Charlotte. They probably should be getting those two if they've got any any aspirations to make the playoffs. Even though the Lakers are playing better, but um, yeah, they, they you know all over the place. Uh, Porzingis you know looks like well, Chamberlain Chamberlain one night, and then looks like he's not even out there the next. Um, so I think they're still trying to find. How to play together? Um, you know, Kuzma is a shoot first guy. Porzingis is a shoot first guy. Beal's kind of been left to create a lot for them. That's getting other guys involved. Tachimera's in and out of the lineup. Abdi has started off pretty poorly this season. Still trying to figure his role out in the NBA. So um, Barton off the bench hasn't been as good as as he's been on other teams. So they're they're in a bit of trouble. That um, they're not looking like they're playing. 
uh, good enough to even even scratch a plane at the moment. And now they've dropped uh, pretty far down the standings here. I'll just just pull that up um, as we speak. But they they've, they've dropped to eleven. They've dropped. They've, they've plummeted. They were in the six not too long ago, and and they've just free fall all the way down to eleven. And Chicago's much more below them. New York's now jumped them at ten pro. But they're they're my weak team of the. <laughs> uh Bogues, yeah. I mean, they're I haven't watched a ton of their games. I know they've done well early, um, like you stated, and you know, they just I don't know. They're I, I sort of like their roster coming in. I, I think like you know, people's been so hot on Porzingis, he's actually had a pretty good year so far at 21 and 9, and, and you know, Kuzma's been playing well. Will Barton's been on sort of a decline the last couple of years and just really hasn't found himself in this offense and this system, averaging seven and three. And, you know, Beal's been, you know, Beal's been putting up his 25 and 24. I mean, you know, their bench has just been okay. You know, Hachimura has been probably the best player off the bench for them. And they just really haven't been able to find their sort of click you know and you know monty they haven't really had a lot of good production out of their point guard spot and you know this is where i thought kcp was pretty good for them in the past not a huge kcp fan but i thought he he gave them some stability in their backcourt and um you know johnny davis the guy they drafted really high last year you know he's barely getting off the bench um you know the kid they drafted really high as well advila avdia yeah. Denny Evdia, yeah. yeah, and he's just been okay, and so like don't really have much off the bench, you know, you know their starters are just okay, their shootings just okay, and there's really nothing they could really bring to the table, and you got to play Bradley Bill like 37 minutes a night, and he's been banged up the last couple of years, so you know they got to watch that as well. I, I just think I don't know where they go from here with this team. You know they need, you know they need so much in the second unit they don't really have, and. You know, they need a point guard, in my opinion. Monty Morris is a nice, nice little player to come off the bench, but to me, he's not your starting point guard. And I just don't I don't see where they could sort of kick this team, and, you know, to overdrive to sort of turn the corner. The only good news for them is they're, what are they, uh, one and a half games away from six, so from the cutoff for yeah. playing. So it's, sure. it's, it's not fire sale for them, whereas Chicago, you know, different, it's a whole different story. I mean, they're, they're not, they're another game and a half behind in 12th. Um, and they, you know, they don't look too good. They're nine and fourteen, but you know, the Wizards I thought were playing somewhat decent, consistent basketball early, but they've had a horror week. So I have to give it to them. Who do you have, Bogues? I'm gonna roll with San Antonio Spurs again, man. I mean, they're gonna lose again, back to back. Yeah, and, and, and look, I'm a Spurs guy. Like I sort of don't mind them. I got, you know, I got a, a client that that I break down film for that plays for them, and uh, I'm pretty, you know, I want them to do well. But oh, and ten, man. I mean. Yo, I had them last week. They still haven't won a game since. And, like, the, the teams they've played this week were decent. You know, like OKC, you know, New Orleans and Phoenix. But still, man, you're 0-10. I got to give Lakers it to twice. them. Lakers yeah. Yeah, like ISO ball after ISO ball after ISO ball. You know, like, Keldon Johnson is a good player. But, like, him and Vassell, um, you know, they got to play – they're trying to play like ISO ball, and they're not that type of play. Like Keldon Johnson is against certain matchups, no doubt about it. But like, it's just like low energy, jacking up shots, and they need to play better. Now, Poto's been out, 
And Zach Collins has actually been getting time, which is cool as a development guy to see, but they're just not look, I know that, you know, that it's funny, like you, you say, yeah, they're tanking for the, you know, for the for the French kid, but not really. Like they actually play hard and they try to win. They just don't have they're just not very good, especially without Podal. Like Podal to me, uh Podal is a very valuable player in the sense that like Screen setter, finisher, you know, good defender, um, one of the best floater, you know, floaters in the league for bigs, and you know, averaging twelve and you know, twelve and like thirteen and ten, and you know, cerebral player, smart, but uh, yeah, they just sort of look out of sorts. Like their bench isn't really giving them much. Um, like I said, they've had they've had Podolau, Sohan's out, their rookie who's a really good player actually out of Baylor, uh, Dennis Rodman type player energy guys so yeah i'm just gonna give it to him man you're you know if i give it to you last week and you don't win the game i gotta get i gotta give it to you by default that's fair the pro rule the pro rule they've been bad pop's been out of the lineup pop looks like what did you say you look if you had a, if you had a what in his hand you give him a quarter yeah like if i was sitting courtside <laughs> he looks disheveled now and the guy had a medical procedure so i'm going straight to hell i'm not really making fun of him for that you know, hopefully he recovers. You know, soon for that. I don't. I don't wish that on anyone. But he looks disheveled, man. Like, not really groomed. If I, you know, if he had a, if he had a Gatorade cup, like drinking, I, and I, I sat courtside, I would. You know, it looks like a homeless dude, man. I would drop like a quarter into his cup to see if you know to see if like he needed it. But I mean, the guy's making twelve million dollars a year, or whatever. I don't think he needs it, but he just looks a little disheveled. He looks a little off this year. It's just strange that he's still going pro. It's yeah. strangely still going. There was rumors that he was going to retire and hand it over a couple of years ago. Um, he's hung on now, but for what? Like they're, they're in tank mode and, and we, we spoke off air. Even if they get, let's say all, all things line up perfectly and they get Victor, he's then going to go through a whole other development of a star and it's probably going to take him. It's not going to be a la Tim Duncan where they're, in, where they're in a championship the next season. They don't have that squad. So they're going, to, they're going to get Victor and they'll be okay and then they're going to have to restructure their roster and that'll take a year or two. Does he have that in him? I don't think so. I, I don't know what, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, but I don't know what he's doing. I, I think he's he's at a point where it doesn't look like he's enjoying it, bro. Um, it, you know, he just rolls out there out of the locker room and, I guess, you know, he's maybe can make his foray into politics or get on with something. Go drink that big wine cellar that he's got. Who knows? But uh, it's interesting to see him still hanging on for dear life. I don't know. <laughs> nah, I don't know, man. Like, it's it's interesting because once you're out, you're out. Like, because he's not, he's not like 45 and like a Quinn Snyder who just like resigns or whatever, whatever. And you're going to get a new, you know, another job. Like you're mm. at the end. So look, dude, he's making, not that he needs the money, but he's making like 12 or $14 million a year or whatever he's making. And, you know, I mean, and he does one thing it seems like, and again, I don't know the guy. I've never talked to the guy. Uh, you know, I've known people who worked for him before, but like, he seems like he likes helping players and try to coach him through. And one thing you could tell about Pop, he does tell you his form of the truth. Like, like he, he tries to help you and he tells you that, like, he doesn't bullshit. Uh, but, like, at this moment, at your age, at that age, now, I mean, like, I don't, I'm never going to tell anybody to, to quit or not quit, but, like, that age, you've won five championships, you got all this money, you're one of the best coaches of all time. You know, I would just say go, but I don't know. I don't know what he's sort of – I mean, like I said, he probably just wants to try to help guys. I just don't see him having the energy to deal with 
know, even with Victor, it ain't like that team's going to – it's not like a Duncan where, you know, Duncan turned them into a championship team year one. Um, It's not like he's going to do that in year one. Yeah. Yeah, and they had a squad. They don't have a squad right now. You know, they've got – Agree. Yeah, they've got like Heldon Johnson who's like a a two and a half – you know, like a two and a probably closer to a third best player in a team. Potal's like a fourth best player in a team. And that's their best, you know, those are like two or three of their best players. So I, I think Vassell's very good. You know, I think he's one, I think he's, you know, to me, he's my most improved player, him and Bowl Bowl. But um, I, I think he's done very well. But like, I don't know with Pop, I just, I don't see it. Like, I think, you know, I think it's sort of go off in the sunset, you know? Agree. It's funny that we're talking about the Spurs in this light. You would never have thought, you know, that that organization with what they, how they pride themselves on doing things. But that is the funny cycle, hamster wheel of the NBA. Uh, Tatum and Booker get Player of the Week Pro. They had a uh, Player of the Month. Sorry, they had two individually. Both had very good months. Um, team records: fifteen and six, and eighteen and four, respectively. Booker with fifteen and six, and, and, and Tatum eighteen and four. Uh, Booker's numbers. 29 a game, six assists, five rebounds. Um, sorry, that was Booker. And Tatum was 30, 31 points, eight rebounds, and just under five assists. So both of those guys, mammoth, mammoth weeks, uh, months, sorry. And um, there's no surprise as to where they both stand in their respective conferences, Pro. Yeah, Bogues, those two, are, I mean, they're a killer combination. They might be. I mean, obviously, Boston right now is the you know, probably the front runner to win it. You know, them in Milwaukee, and those two are obviously the reasons for it. And you know, I, everybody knows about Tatum and what he's done since day one. But Brown's been a guy who's developed into being a really good, you know, second best player. Could be the best player on a marginal team, but like borderline number one on a really, really good team. And those two guys have played well and put them into a championship level conversation. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. Definitely two guys that are really good players. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, did you see just this morning, um, I just read it, the Trey Young saga preview. Have you up to date with that? Folks, I just saw that. No, I just, as we, as I got home and we were about to start the podcast, I, I just turned on Hoops Hype and I saw that. So please, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. So, so, so Nate McMillan historically has been a pretty hard-nosed coach. Um, I had some former teammates of mine play under him in Portland and said that back then he ran the team like a like a like it was in a, a prison. Um, no phones on the buses. He was very, very strict. I think he's changed his ways and understood that, you know, he's the the old man out, he's older, new generation, I've got to change my way of thinking. So I think he's adapted well. But he's McMillan's always had this in him. He's not afraid to to go out, guys. Now, apparently Trey Young and Nate McMillan from two nights ago went out at a shoot-around in the morning, uh, back and forth, heated verbal exchange, uh, so much so as Trey just bothered, didn't bother to show up to the game that night. Um, you, I haven't seen this before. I've seen maybe uh, a coach or management say, we're going to suspend you for a night, don't come to the game or whatever. I've never just seen a guy just not rock up and just be like, yeah, all right, yeah, we got into it. I'm just not going to rock up. See, I, I don't know the full context around whether he just turned his phone off or whether his agent knew or that kind of stuff. I mean, that's going to come out over the next however long. Um, but 
that's glaring. That's you know they're they're built. I mean they're somewhat built for for you know conference finals run with that roster. Uh, making the trade for Murray, paying Collins all that money. Trey Young's your number one guy. This is alarming for the Atlanta Hawks, uh, and this is you know Nate McMillan. Like I said, he's a hard nosed coach, and this has been his issue in, in in the teams that he's been at. Is there is a burnout factor with hard nosed coaches in the NBA? It's just the reality. You can disagree with it or not. Um, unless you're Greg Popovich and you've got that currency and you're really good with the GM, president, and the owner. Uh, otherwise, you know, stars going to go to your owner and get you fired if you're too hard nosed and guys are burnt out. They don't want to hear your voice anymore. Nate Millen's getting to that point, it seems, and whenever this happens with a with a star player, you ever rarely see these these uh, relationships mended to a point that lasts long. And why I say that is because they could they could catch up for dinner tonight and break bread and wine and hug and kiss each other. And Trey Young and McMillan are, are in the in the best books again. But as soon as shit hits the fan, as soon as they lose a playoff series they shouldn't have lost. Or as soon as a going gets tough, Trey Young's going to point to to Nate McMillan. Um, that's historically what happens. Um, I've, I've been around this rodeo enough. Pro, you have too. That's that's generally the pattern of the way things go. And then you know you're going to get some guys going to the ownership, the GM, saying, "Hey, we want this guy out." So not a good thing. I hope it, I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope I think I think Nate's a good coach. I think he um, he definitely changed. You know, Atlanta was awful before he got there. In my opinion, they weren't very good at all. Uh, he took over and, and got them in the playoffs and they're playing better banner basketball. They still have a lot of things to improve on. But um, when it's your star player, uh, yeah, it's, it's not good. Pro. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't have the context of what happened or why why it happened. It, was it because you know Trey was showing an attitude? Was it because Nate went at him harder than he probably should have? I, we don't know, so it's hard for me to sort of comment on it. But... Look, Trey's been a guy that's been tough for head coaches. You know, Lloyd Pierce, he was like that in college. He's distant. Now, he's been better. The last couple of years, he's actually, I got to give it to him. He's been better. But look, dude, you don't want to be that guy, regardless of like, you know, look, I, I've had situations with Kobe where like he had it out with you know, Phil Jackson and never once did he ever, you know, and they were it went hard because Phil actually goes at guys. And I never once had him even close to saying, I'm not showing up to a game. I mean, like, you, you got to put that shit aside. And first of all, he cost me a fucking win this week of my fantasy team. That I know why. I fucking lost by 12 field goals and fucking 10 points that he easily would have got both and I would have fucking won. So I'm not really happy about fucking Trey Young right now on that, on that side of shit either. But if... You know, look, if you want to be a competitor in this league, you can't just take a fucking night off because you got into it with your coach. I mean, look, we've all been around. Well, here we go, pro. Some context. Please. Some context. Sorry to interrupt no, you, don't. but uh, Sam Emick has just has just put out pretty detailed chronological order of what happened. Um, Young's, so Trey Young's right shoulder is messed up. Um, he was receiving treatment on his right shoulder. McMillan asked him whether he would participate in shoot-around that morning and then receive treatment during walkthrough and playing the game against the Nuggets. Um, Young made it clear that he wanted to focus solely on his treatment while missing shoot-around, and he would decide later in the day whether he would play. That approach was not McMillan approved. It was a frustrating point for McMillan. Um, The face of the Hawks franchise was deciding not to to take part in shoot-around. 
McMillan ultimately presented him with two options for that night's game. He said, you can play off the bench or do not show up to the arena. So uh, Young responded by saying he would not be playing against the Nuggets. The team has said they're not going to they're not going to find him. Um, there's no disciplinary action from the team. The team's listed him out with a shoulder. So that's kind of the that's the story that's come out. There's also a little bit of scuttlebutt around. Um, the issue is a microcosm of tension that exists between Young and McMillan and the locker room. Uh, the Hawks have had multiple team meetings early this season to resolve various conflicts. Sources, with, you know, sources within the within the group have have alleged so. Right, I think knowing that now that they're having meetings about McMillan and and Trey Young not getting along and other guys, I think the writing's on the wall. But who do you agree with here, Pro? You, you agree with Trey Young or uh, Nate McMillan? Oof! Wow. Well, Bugs, look, with with that reasoning to the shot. Yeah. Look, I don't know what you think, but like, if your best player is hurt, right, injured, hurt, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And he says, look, I don't want to go through a shoot-around. I'd rather just rest it and see what happens. I don't mind that, especially in today's you know realm of the NBA. And, look, you got to understand that, you know, Trey Young ate like Mr. Foxhole, you know, I'm going to tough it out. If you give him an option and, like, give him an ultimatum, you know where the fucking guy's going to go with an ultimatum. He's going to stick it right up your fucking ass, yeah. right? So, like... I would have probably I, – I heard one of my best friends gave me this saying of, like, is that a hill you want to die on? Like, to me, look, I don't know what's been going on all year with them or over the past couple of years with them, but, like, that's really not a hill that I want to die on as a head coach. Like, why why should I even, like, throw a lob pass like, – a fucking hanging curveball to Barry Bonds in the steroid era – when I know that he's gonna fucking quit on me if I if I give him an ultimatum, why not just like bite the bullet? Say, all right, yeah, just give me till one o'clock or two o'clock, so we could you know we could formulate a game plan if you're gonna play. But like you throw him a, and you know me, I'm not Mister Trey Young, even though I have him on my fantasy team, even though I drafted him by accident. Um, I think that like in this case, Bogues. I'm going to give it to Trey Young because all fucking McMillan had to do is like give him a deadline. Give him like, hey, 2 o'clock, let me know. You know, if if you don't want to play, you don't want to play, but I need to know. No big deal, whatever. And it's just shoot around. It's not a big deal, you know, like if he's going to do treatment. That's my opinion. I would actually, you know, I'm trying to be fair in all these things. I'm going to give this one to Trey Young. But um, what do you think? Yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough one. Uh, if it was just a matter of like a walkthrough, they're, they're saying Nate wanted him to go through, shoot around, um, and then, then then get treatment during the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sh- we both know shoot arounds aren't the most intense workouts, especially for max guys and superstars. So I think you can go through it half-hearted and just, just somewhat get through it. But, uh, you know, if Nate's wanted him to shoot shots with a bad shoulder – I think that's that's pretty silly. If if he's really hurting um, and his shoulders messed up, and, and he's like, "Look, I'd I'd rather not get jumpers up now. I'd rather take you know, I'll take some some pain pills before the game, and stay off the shoulder, and then get you know, go through the pain during the game, get warm, take the pain pills, and then whatever." I'm with Trey on that, but I think it just could have been better worked out pre. Like it just you know, I I, I question the whole communication from the trainers to the coaches. Where's that in Atlanta? Like. 
they would have known that going into shoot around that he's probably not going to participate. So if this was something that Nate, like you said, is a hill he's going to die on, have that conversation beforehand. Hey, hey, Trey, just just give me just give me twenty minutes when we run through our shit in the morning. We run through our offensive sets. I want to do some stuff with our spacing or I, here's a defensive adjustment we're doing. And then as soon as we get shots up or anything that's loading your shoulder, go, go sit out and get, get your treatment. That's as simple as a conversation needs to be. It doesn't need to be. This is a silly hill to die on, but maybe McMillan's frustrated with the lack of toughness in the Hawks and this was a line in the sand. Maybe this has been ongoing um, for for weeks and months. And this is this is a danger in the NBA and pro sports. When you allow slippage, even an odor of slippage early on in the season, that then becomes a norm. So it might mean that, okay, uh, you know, this guy shows up to, to shoot around five minutes late because he's he's getting treatment on the sidelines. Like we, I, I play with a guy like this that would, he, you know, the whole team would do team stretching and he'd get, he'd get a trainer to stretch him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You, you're just like, the whole team's doing a warm up and you're getting stretched, oh, actually numerous guys. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're on the side getting stretched by a trainer, right? You allow that and then, like we allowed on the teams that I was on and then all of a sudden that stretching continued on into actual practice. Yeah. So then he's missed the first drill. And then it's gone into the, maybe even the second drill, the first 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, I got to get right. You know what I mean? So sure. then my point is you allow that slippage and then it's something so stupid as this is the, the fuse that's lit everything, right? Um, I don't think this is my take on it, my theory not being in that group. I don't think it. this was – the issue is bigger than it is because this wasn't the issue. This has been a bunch of small things that have led up to this that have now got, that hasn't haven't been addressed that have gone bang. That's my that's my thinking of it. Because this is like you said, this is a silly hill to die on with your max guy. You, you know your max guy is gonna, like you said, t- tell you to go f yourself and be like, all right, you want to go mono mono? I'll be here longer than you will, coach. So let's do it. Let's rock and roll. And you're gonna lose that battle nine times out of ten unless you're Greg Popovich, and that's one out of thirty guys in the NBA. Maybe there's one or two other guys in the NBA that have that kind of currency. So I think it's just a shitty situation, and I think it speaks badly to the whole organization in my opinion. Yeah, and they're 13 and 10. They're looking to trade Collins. Um, you know, Bogdanovich hasn't played all year yet. It just it's not a good situation. And you know, they're one of those teams, yeah, they're built on paper for a conference championship, but to me I, I don't you know I don't think they're no, they're not beating. They're not getting close no, to Milwaukee. No. They're not touching Boston. Hey, look where they are like I mean, I think yeah. I, I think Brooklyn on a good night could even give him trouble, you know, like in a, in a good in a series. As bad as Brooklyn are, Brooklyn are playing better. They could give him some trouble if healthy, you know. So and Trey Young's got to look himself in the mirror now, seriously, like because they're gonna fire McMillan. Like I don't unless they go on some big run. Like they're gonna fire McMillan. They're gonna have his back. But how many coaches do they have to put toe tags on in the morgue for him to understand that maybe it's not just them. Maybe I have to do better. Maybe I have to communicate better with my head coach. You know, look, you know, it was well demonstrated that him and Lloyd Pierce didn't get along, right? Now you've got McMillan, same thing, can't get along. Like, I know things never really end well in the NBA. They always end badly or they wouldn't end. But he's got to look himself in the mirror if they do. And they got to look themselves in the mirror, you know, their front office in Atlanta and be like, all right, look, we're going to back this guy. But how many times do you have to back a guy before you understand, like, and then fire these head coaches before you say, wait a minute now, 
Like how many of these head coaches are we going to go through? How many coaches do we have to double dip and, you know, pay two coaches at a time because of the fact that we had to fire them because this guy can't get along or this guy's not. Now, is this guy really, uh, you know, I know he's averaging 28 in 10, but is this guy really our leader that's going to really take us, you know, to elevate us to another level. Now, he did in that playoff series against New York for sure and taking him as deep as he did a couple of years ago. But enough is enough. Like, let's, let's grow up. You want to be a competitor. You want to, you know, you want to, like, compare yourself to Luka Doncic and these guys. You know, you, not only do you have to put up the numbers, but you got to, like, be a leader where people are going to follow. And... Getting coaches fired isn't, you know, isn't an Olympic sport. If he was, he'd be a fucking eight-time gold medalist. He's got to relax with this shit. And, you know, if this is going to go south, he's got to figure out, all right, you know, what do I need to do a little bit better? It's not just can't be a coaches all the time, you know. So, yeah, not a good situation. Not good for Atlanta. All right, uh, we don't have to touch on this one too much, but Tony Brothers, I love the wording on this. Tony Brothers missed one game due to the Dinwiddie incident where he called him a bitch-ass MFA. Uh, the NBA was wording said he missed one game, so he wasn't suspended. Pro, he just missed one game, so he was suspended. But they just put it nicely, so I think that's the right decision. Pro, yeah, they told them. They said, "Look, Tony, you could either sit at the scorers table and just be the alternate, or don't even fucking show up to the arena. We're gonna trade young your ass." <laughs> and he said, "I right, fuck it, I'm out." <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. But good decision by the NBA. I like yeah. it. I think the wording could have went a bit harder and just said well, we suspended him because it was inappropriate, like a player yeah. would. As a trade rumor floated around from the Bulls, pro uh, Chicago Bulls, um, they might be close to going ultimate tank mode. They're nine and fourteen, as I spoke about before. They, they don't look good. They look like it's all over the place. We've spoken about it last week. The ball out definitely hurts them. Uh, but DeRozan and Vucevic to the Lakers, which I assume would be for a Westbrook type tank. Um, that would help the Lakers, pro. I mean, you, you can get you can then get uh, Davis back to his well preferred four spot. With Davis now shooting three ball a bit more confidently, you now have two bigs that can shoot three, which the Lakers don't really have. I mean, Brian can kind of get it going a little bit, but that's not his strength. Vucevic is shooting it well. The Rosen gives him another option if if LeBron's not having a night where they can actually get some perimeter scoring and obviously. Um, very, very good from that mid-range. This could could you know could help the Lakers, and we know the Lakers are in win-now mode. They're not going to tank. Um, no matter how bad they are, LeBron will still want to try to win games. But it does point a finger at the Bulls that they've they've given up on their uh, their big free agency splash from just two seasons ago, Pro. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, Bogues, how this stuff changes quickly, like how teams sort of reroute themselves early into a rebuild or – you know, not a rebuild, but like their their swing, you know, their swing for the fences mode, right? And I look, they they built a good team for sure. And I think with the ball injury, you know, it's weird. That ball injury is one of the weirdest injuries I've ever seen where like it just usually when you have a surgery or procedure done, usually cleans it up. Now, it might take a year, might take longer than that. But like it's been a long time and he still has pain with it and really can't you know, can't function with it. So it's really strange. And yeah, it's just not really paying off. To, you know, they've got, they, they they made this big splash, re-signing Levine, signing Ball, you know, getting DeRozan, you know, Vucevic in the trade where they, they, they unloaded a lot of assets and a lot of equity to get them. 
And now they're just sitting, you know, they're sitting in this in this space where they can't really make any traction in the East. You don't, I mean, I haven't really investigated and, and made some calls on the ball deal, but like, I, I would assume this is career threatening. And like, where do you go from here? So like, okay, so you make the trade, right? You make the trade to the Lakers, you get Westbrook, you get, you know, you get these picks and... All right, you still got Levine sitting there. You still got like, what are you gonna do? You're just gonna like rock it. Oh, Levine's out. If, yeah. they, if they if they make that move, Levine's gonna ask out. They're gonna go full tank mode with Westbrook, who can still put bums on seats somewhat. Um, running, he's back into triple double territory then. Um, but yeah, they're they're in no man's land, and they're they're in that spot. Like they made moves that kept them. Mediocre, like okay, you're six, seven, eight, nine. You're best of six at worst. You're what are you, twelve right now? It's, it probably wasn't worth the home run here. It was probably better off developing the younger guys and building through the draft. And and they're still the Chicago Bulls. Like they they're going to be, you know, they're not a number one free agent destination, but they're an appealing free agent oh, very destination. Much so, yeah, outside of New York, New York, yeah, New York and New York and LA, maybe maybe Miami. But I think you know you have them up there on par with Miami as a, as a free agent destination. A lot of guys love playing there. Great city to live in. So um, yeah, they're they're in some they're in a tough spot. So we'll we'll, we'll keep a lookout for where that all goes. But uh, not looking good for them. All right, Australian Player of the Week Pro. Uh, after giving Ben Simmons a crown, he hasn't played a fucking game since. So <laughs> Ben Simmons. One, one our our first inaugural Aussie Player of the Week, and he hasn't played since, so that's the wrap on him. Just for just for uh, a little bit of rules with, with this segment for people out there, if guys haven't played much, I'm not really going to talk too much about them. I'm just going to let you know, and, and then we'll try to talk about guys that have actually played. So Ben Simmons DMPs uh, due to injury, Paddy Mills DMPs all around. Looks like he's completely out of that rotation for good. He didn't even play today, even when they were down. Um, you know, a decent amount didn't even get in the game, so he's he's out for a while. Uh, Joe Ingles still out. He will be back sooner rather than later, I believe. Um, Delhi seven minutes a game this week, mainly garbage time. Jack White the same, two minutes per game, garbage time. Matisse is back in the rotation. Uh, pro, he's this week he was at thirteen minutes per game. Numbers aren't good though. Uh, Defensively was solid, averaged a steal a game in those in those games, but two point three points and one rebound is not going to get it done. But thirty minutes a game, so he's finding finding a little bit more time in the rotation. Let's hope he gets a bit more. Dyson Daniels had a pretty decent week, steady, had one really good night, but he, he was seven points, five rebounds, three point seven assists, and a steal per game. Almost had a triple double against Toronto, which was good to see. Fourteen points, eight rebounds, and nine assists, which was a really good performance for Dyson Daniels. Our guy Jock has started to find some more minutes again. Pro, um, not sure what's going on there, but he's he's found a little bit more. It's strange now, Monty's splitting Bismack. Bismack's the first pick off the bench, and then Jock will get Bismack for a little bit. They're, they're splitting the backup minutes, so. Um, since his DMPs, he's played a little bit more. He's at 4.5 and two rebounds uh, a game this week. Josh Green probably had the second best week out of any Aussie. Um, he was at 8.6 points, 2.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and 1.3 steals a game. He's been pretty solid for him, and he continues to get better, as we spoke about last season. But drum roll, the Australian of the week this week, pretty easy one, Josh Giddy. Uh, pretty good numbers, uh, 14 points, 10 rebounds, average a double-double for the week from the guard spot, if you don't mind, 4.3 assists and 1.6 steals per game. 
Pro, he has lost a bit of his productiveness due to um, Shea Gilgis Alexander dominating the ball. So for those wondering why the up and down from Giddy, there's some games where he's just uh, he's just not as involved as he was last season when when Alexander got hurt. Pro, but uh, still a, a fantastic week for for Josh Giddy. You know, folks, guys like Giddy, they just don't mentally they don't turn it off. Like you could use them as much as you want usage rate. I still don't know what the fuck usage rate is and how to how to calculate it. But like you could use a guy you don't like. There's certain guys that really need the ball in the hands all the time. When guys are like him, and I, I and I will put him in Lucas. You know, I would will put him in Lucas class as far as his vision. I'm not saying he's as good as Luca. Period. I'm just saying vision wise. Like I would put him Lebron. You know, him, LeBron, Jokic into that category of passer. Uh, Rondo doesn't play anymore, but like that Rondo type as well. So like, but those guys, it never turns off for them. You know, they're not just guys who hunt assists. That's a big difference. This this guy has vision behind, his, you know, eyes in the back of his head. And you could put him on the ball. You could put him off the ball. You could play him at five. It doesn't matter. He's still going to like find ways to get guys involved and make really smart basketball plays. And I'll tell you what, um, his shot is improving, even though the numbers don't really see it yet. um, He's really getting better with his shot. Somebody somebody showed a picture, a video of him shooting after practice uh, with their shooting coach, Chip England, and from San Antonio that, you know, came over Oklahoma City. And he looks good. And I I think that he's going to be – Somebody who will probably by next All Star break, not this All Star break, obviously, but by next year, you might see him in the mid thirties. And if that happens, it's a fucking wrap. And to be honest, I think they're. I wouldn't surprise me if they ended up trading Gildress Alexander, you know, just to to get assets. I don't know because they've done it so many times. They got to actually like you know lay wood down as far as like their foundation. And they gotta they gotta pay somebody, and they got. I mean, that's a hell of a backcourt with him and Gildress Alexander. It's uh, pretty interesting to watch. But he's a hell of a player, man. He's gonna be good for a long time. He is. He is, and he'll continue to. I would uh, take a guess he's gonna feature in a lot of our Australian of the weeks in that segment. It's gonna be between him and Ben Simmons for the most part, with numbers just because they they get him up, they put up big numbers. So uh, we'll continue to watch that space. And just touching that pro. We have 10 NBA players from Australia right now in the NBA. Um, and this discussion I started on Twitter based on, you know, the World Cup's on right now for soccer. Um, the Australian team made the final 16, which is huge for Australia. So someone started discussing, you know, the amount of funding certain sports get from the government. And Australian rules football and the NRL in Australia are the, you know, number one, number two sports for the most part. But they're really only played in you know, a certain number of countries, handful of countries play them at, a, at an elite competitive level. Um, and people say, oh, well, they don't, they don't receive that much direct funding. Well, they do when you factor in, you know, fields, uh, stadium grants, facility grants, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's a story for another day. So I decided to look up where basketball was on the list as far as, you know, money. Um, they break these up into a few categories. It goes into money for high performance. So that's your high performance elite facilities, that kind of stuff. It goes into participation, uh, money, and then it goes into other, which I assume would be logistical stuff for the sport and whatnot. Basketball's down there in the doldrums. Um, they, they receive a fair bit 
but compared to some of the other sports, I just had to mention this. It's amazing that we do so well. Uh, you look at the Australian men's national team, third in the last Olympics, fourth in the World Cup prior to that, and fourth in the Olympics before that. Our women have, have uh, you know, obviously getting a, a medal at the last World Cup, which was just here in Sydney, um, and before that fizzled out a little bit, but generally 90s and 2000s were very dominant, always medal worthy. You factor that into how much money basketball gets, it's not much. Um, and the total for basketball, for those wondering, is $6.3 million, um, uh, for high performance, uh, six, what is it, uh, 475 for participation, and then, you know, other, God knows what that means, is, is a million. So they had a total of 7.8. It sounds like a lot, but to me, it's not much once you factor in Paralympics. Okay, Paralympics have a lot of logistical issues they have, and, and I'm not taking that away, but they, Paralympics is, is 13.5 million as a whole. Uh, athletics is 9.7 million, and I know there's a, a course of sports in athletics. But you know they're not that successful, and it's very hard to compete with other countries um, as far as athletics goes. Um, Australians really don't do that well in athletic events. We usually get dominated by overseas. Um, there was a few that really were glaring. So basketball gets seven point eight. Canoeing, canoeing pro, yes, paddle paddle canoeing gets six point seven million dollars uh, from the government. So it's it's a, a lot of it's down to who who you know. Swimming gets seventeen point four million dollars. Now they are probably our most successful sport when it comes to Olympic medals. Um, so you can argue that's, that's good bang for buck, but 17 million. Um, what else do we have? Water polo then is on a subsidiary to that. They get another 4 million off that. Tennis 6.5. I think that's pretty low considering it's a world sport. Um, sailing. Now expensive, expensive uh, equipment. $9 million for sailing. Good old sailing. Rowing pro. $10 million. Um, and the reason, hockey, this is the big one. Hockey is $8 million. They get more funding than basketball in Australia and and it's a really small participation level in hockey. There's not a lot of people that play hockey. So I think they factored in the money per, per participant is something like $1,500 per participant in Australia. For basketball, I think it equates to about $100 per participant. So that makes you think. But the reason why I bring that up is I mean, there's two, two states in particular, New South Wales and Queensland, that are just, they need facilities. They need basketball facilities. There's just not enough uh, basketball facilities for young kids. And a concern that I have is that these kids are going to you know, get to an age where they you know, can't even access a court to work on their own game at times. That they're going to go into sports like NRL or AFL or whatever it is, right? And we're going to lose really good kids. And, and what this now is breeding, at least in New South Wales and Queensland, is a lot of uh, these kids are now moving away from the tra traditional levels of competitive basketball and it's moving towards private schools because private schools have the money to build these facilities and then kids go and play competitively for these private schools. A lot of them now are giving out scholarships to numerous different sports, including basketball. But then that's not fair for kids that either don't get a scholarship or can't afford to go to those schools. So we're in a bit of a conundrum and I, I just just want to you know let the basketball community know that you got to keep rallying your politicians, your local reps, your state reps, your... The federals, whenever you vote, you know, keep in mind that basketball is probably not getting a fair shake right now. And, and considering where we are and how competitive we are, it is amazing that we've gotten this far without, you know, an iota of Australian rules or, or Australian rules football or um, rugby league gets pro. So I don't know how it works in the States with all that. I think it's more of a high school system there, I believe. But in Australia, like there's just, you know, there's, there's not a surplus of facilities and the concern with that is you, you end up losing good kids. Yeah, it's interesting. You would think that 
as good as you guys are in basketball, uh, you know, that the funding will be better. Maybe, I don't know, like you said, a lot of that stuff's political. Um, but maybe, like, they want to give some of that money that you mentioned some of the sports that you're a little dumbfounded by that they gave so much in, in comparison. Maybe they think because it's a low participation sport across the board that maybe if you they invest more money in it, they have a chance to meddle in it in a, in a not so popular sport versus a popular one. I, don't, I have no idea. In the United States, a lot of that stuff comes down to tax money. Like, you know, with, with high school facilities and buildings like that, it's just like your tax, like, you know, you, you build these facilities, these rec centers where, you know, people can rent or come in and work in their game. Uh, a lot of it's private funding. But, yeah, it's interesting with – you would think that there would be more money for it in, in Australia. But, um, yeah. Now, would it be bogues that they maybe want to – they just want to keep it for the AIS and say – and just keep that as, like, the most dominating facility in the country or – well, they're losing funding for some sports. I think basketball's losing funding. That's the thing. Like, you know, the, and the AIS itself was losing funding year on year. So they got established in 19, I think it was 83 or 84, wasn't it? 80 sometime. Could be wrong on that date. But they got established because we, we stuck to the Olympics. So the government saw, like, hey, we're bad at the Olympics. We need, a, we need an elite center to develop our every athlete, right? Different sports. Um, and then they got a lot of funding and then a political party changed and then there was, you know, some backlash about why should we be paying for all these athletes, blah, blah, blah. And then the, the, the funding's dried up and then hold the known. You look at the results of the Olympics the last couple of years with medal tallies, we've dropped off. So it's, it's a direct correlation. But um, one thing I probably should have mentioned is that the basketball is a top five participation sport in Australia. Um, that's what I should have mentioned at the start of this. So when you correlate that, like to your point, they want maybe they want these sports that don't have as much participants. I'd argue the opposite. You've got more kids wanting to participate in the sport. You should be investing more and providing more facilities so kids can get on the court. Because I'll tell you right now, like I don't know how, what it's like in the states. I think, I think it's kind of similar, but not as bad. But these these basketball centers aren't just used for basketball. Like they rent that shit out for you know local. Yeah, Bob and Fred want to rent it for badminton yeah, for an hour. Yeah. They'll play. You, you can't get on a court. You know what I mean? Or or it's indoor soccer, or it's uh, cricket, or it's. So it's not just for basketball, and I think it, it needs to be spoken about. I know Queensland's really struggling with facilities um, throughout the whole of Queensland, and I know the New, New South Wales is really struggling. And like I said, what that's doing is it's it's moving towards a private school system, and, and then kids without money or without connections to get to those schools are going to struggle to find competitive basketball, and you just don't want to do that. You want to keep it in the public system if you can, but you look at, you know, participation rates should correlate more funding for basketball. And and but the, the point of this is coming from our I wanted to link it to the Australian Australian wrap up or the Australian of the week for the NBA. The fact that we have ten players in the NBA from a country of twenty four odd million people with not a real um, hard focus on development for basketball is commendable. So I think every player that's played in the NBA from Australia should be commended. I think it's it does wonders for the game here, but let's hope we can, you know, the listeners out there and people out there can keep rattling um, the cages of these politicians to make sure basketball does does get its fair share. It is unfortunately a, a pricier sport pro. Um, mm -hmm. We know shoes cost a lot of money. We know getting to stadiums costs money. We know uniforms cost money, travel, all that kind of stuff. So you do need a bit of coin. So it would be nice for the government to continue to invest rather than building, you know, 
I get Australian rules is our number one sport in NRL, but there's so many fields everywhere. When you when you relate that towards basketball, it's it's not a fair shake. So that's my little rant about that this week, pro NBL. Been a real good round, pro. It's um, a real even round. Most teams played twice. Uh, Cairns actually beat the Sydney Kings early in the week, right after we recorded. They played that night. Sydney win control the whole night, and Cairns came back and, and stole a game in overtime. Uh, disappointing loss for the Sydney Kings, actually, because we were, you know, we were in control of that game. But you got to give credit to Cairns; they came back and and uh, stole the win. Cairns then go on to lose to Adelaide in a close one late. It was looked like it was going to be a blowout, but Cairns fought back. Adelaide. Uh, Got that win, so Cairns go one on one. Sydney then, after that loss, go on to smack Adelaide uh, yesterday, which is a pretty easy win for Sydney. New Zealand pound Fe- the, Mel- the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix in New Zealand, but then they lose to the Perth Wildcats, who have been struggling. Uh, New Zealand were number one at the time. Perth are down towards the bottom of the table, so that was an interesting win for the Perth Wildcats. The Phoenix then go on to beat Melbourne in Melbourne. Uh, Brisbane beat the Perth Wildcats, which was a, a really, really bad loss for Perth. Um, Brisbane kind of shorthanded, the coaching change, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then Brisbane go on to lose to Tasmania. So been a, a pretty pretty interesting week. Um, not much change as far as the ladder goes, besides the Sydney Kings have, have retained top spot, which is uh, always good to see. And um, New Zealand now in second pro. New Zealand look tough. They look really, really good. They've got um, a couple of couple of good imports there and and um, an external repair. Cairns in third, and then it's pretty pretty even from there. Um, the bottom four is interesting. Perth, Melbourne, Brisbane, Illawarra. Illawarra was kind of predictable. Uh, Brisbane, some people had them as the favourites uh, to win a championship. Baines has been hurt the last couple of games. And then Melbourne and Perth in that bottom four, which you don't you don't see too often. So um, pretty interesting run where I think we're, we're almost at the uh, the midpoint or we're right on the midpoint most most teams have played between 12 and 15 games for you know 14 is a midpoint so we'll see where where the cookie crumbles at the end of all this pro but the NBL season um, is looking like it's gonna be a close one folks did I read did I read it right that Luke Longley has joined your ownership group in Sydney or no he sure has yes he sure has we have welcomed Luke to the uh, the best ownership group in the league, pro. Uh, he's going to learn a lot from us. He's been he's been our advisor for since I what was it the third year. So he's this is his third year now as an advisor mm-hmm. uh, to the Sydney Kings, and um, he loves it. Sorry, fourth year actually, I believe it'd be his fourth year. Um, so he's basically been on all he's all the, on all the owners' calls whenever it comes to anything basketball related, and and we just thought that you know he's one of the best to ever do it in the NBA. A lot of experience. He kind of thinks. Um, the beauty of our ownership group pro is we've got me who's a loose cannon our other owners are loose cannon Paul Smith Robin Denholm is one of the one of the smartest business minds in, in Australia if not the world and, and the chair of Tesla um, and we've also got now Luke Longley who is a whole other personality um, kind of you know the yoga-esque kind of take a deep breath and think this through type of guy so it's a really good mix and we all have different opinions and that's I think that's why we work. And and, and Luke was actually on record last season uh, when someone asked him about our ownership group and Luke and he said, the reason why we're going to win is because we have a bunch of weirdos as owners <laughs> that are all different <laughs> and, and we ended up winning it. And it's true because, you, you, I mean, you don't want everyone agreeing. You get nothing accomplished. Yep, yeah, you're, you're right. I agree with that. Yep, you're right. Nah, we get into it sometimes. I don't agree with that. It's bullshit. We need to do this. Oh, no, why do you think that? I, I like this player better and... It makes for good conversation and sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, sometimes a group votes with you and sometimes it doesn't. That's part of being an adult and grown man and woman and 
Uh, we do welcome Luke Longley. Thanks for bringing that up. I didn't even have that on my run sheet. Luke would have uh, been pretty cross with me, but he's going to be invaluable for us. Um, he's still based in Perth and flies in every other month, and I know the guys love having him around as well. So really, really cool. Yeah, no, I read that, and I was like, wow, that's uh, that's pretty cool. So, you know, he wasn't being offered any fucking ownership group before he got on the podcast, and now we don't, we can't fucking find him. So, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, you're welcome. So that's good. No, it's good to see. He's still he's still scarred. He's still scarred for coming on the podcast. It's <laughs> a good point. It's that pro guy, man. You know, yeah, yeah. But uh, and then by the way, NBL MVP candidates, real quick. I think it's down to two: Keanu Pinder and Xavier Cooks. In my opinion, if you want to ask, I think I think it's gonna come down to which team wins more games. In my opinion, um, and Xavier Cooks is having a hell of a year, but Keanu Pinder as Pinder as well has been fantastic for the Kansas Taipans. So I think it's coming out of those two. A few other guys is floating around in there. But I think those two, are, at the end of the day, it's going to be between those two. All right. Double is betting mid-social media. On Double, you can follow your friends and mates, stalk the experts or trending tipsters, scroll through trending bets and copy them all in one tap. Get alerts when your mates and expert tipsters place bets. Most importantly, you can follow me, Andrew Bogut, all one word. I had a big one in the preseason, the first couple of weeks of the season, but I've been struggling since. So stay with me. I've got I've got a good one coming up in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure of it. But uh, the multis uh, <laughs> haven't been too favorable the last couple of weeks. Download the app, the App Store, Dabble, all one word, Dabble socially, gamble responsibly. So thank you, Dabble, for the support of this podcast. Stats, pro, useful or useless. Clay Thompson is back up to 40% shooting from three mm. after his three-point percentage has lifted 7% in just five games, pro. Useful or useless? I think it's useful. So he lifted his, his yeah, 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 go ahead. No, I, okay, Boggs, you, you want to explain that? Yeah, so he's, he's in, in basically in five games, he's, let's say he was at 33%. In five games, he got it up to 40%, which is, is pretty astonishing. Like usually if you're shooting in a rut in the NBA, pro, as you know, if you're, if you're like – a twenty six percent shooter and like goal is to get to thirty it could take you like thirty games, you yeah. know. And he's he's, yeah. he's lifted his percentage by seven percentage points in five games, and he's a volume shooter. We know, but that's just that's an amazing stat considering how cold he started the season. Yeah, like you said, it's very delicate, especially when you start getting like high number of attempts, and if you're down to the you know if you're down to the dungeon with that to really rise it. It's not like you played three games and you could raise it like 30 points in, in, in a day or two. You know, when you're 20 plus games in and you raise it seven points in a, in a small amount of time, that's a pretty, it's a pretty huge, you know, that's a pretty big accomplishment and it's not easy to do. So no, I, I definitely think that's a, that's um, useful for sure. Yep, useful to me. We spoke about this last week, but just a formal stat to, to close that part off. The Dallas Mavericks have not won a game this season when Lucas scores less than 30 pro. Useful or useless? Oh, it's useful for sure. I mean, it, it goes to show that, you know, they, they really, you know, sort of value him to be able to, you know, run the whole thing. And if, if he's not rolling and rocking with that, it's going to be really tough. And, you know, I think it's definitely useful because – you know, look, Bogues, they talk about they talk about his usage rate all, all you want. First of all, Giannis has a bigger use you know, usage rate than he does, and they're winning. And so I don't I think they have to up the talent on that team to really like, you know, to to make it where he doesn't have to score that many points for them to win. And they had that last year. 
you know, I don't care what people think about Brunson versus Dinwiddie or whatever, but Brunson brought it and he he sort of let Luca get off the ball a little bit and you know, he could take over some games. We saw it in the playoffs. So they have to, you know, it's not just Luca. They got to be able to up the talent they have. Uh, you know, I don't think, I think it's hard for some of those players to step up past a certain role that they have to really do well. Look, Tim Hardaway Jr. sort of is one of those guys. I think he had like 28 last night. I mean, he could explode at any minute to, to score points. I'm still not a Christian Wood fan. And I don't care about the 17 and 8 that he's putting up. But like, I don't think he could rely on him on a regular basis. But I do think Hardaway, you know, could do that. I think it's useful for sure. I, I don't know why I went on this tangent, but <laughs> useful, I think it's useful yeah, for it's sure. Useful. Just, yeah, it just emphasizes yeah. what we spoke about. When, when he doesn't play out of his mind, they struggle to win games, which with a lineup of some, some other backup scorers that are supposed to be gunners in Hardaway Jr. and Dinwiddie and so on, you'd expect a bit more from him. Uh, Brooke Lopez is now odds-on favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year, according to Las Vegas Pro. Useful, useless. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. How crazy is that? I, I mean, like, on the surface, I would say useless, but, I mean, I don't know. I guess if you count shot blocking as, like, you know, well, they have that shot. that and verticality and pain points when he's in. That's what it would be. He's averaging three blocks a game though, probably this season. Um, but which you know, is, yeah, that's the and thing. He's contesting a lot of them. Like he's he's just verticality. He's a big big dude um, to get to get those layups and floaters over. Folks, I didn't. Yeah, I don't. I think we talked about this before. I never saw him as a shot blocker. And and, and when somebody mentioned to me and I saw the thing that he's averaging three a game. I was beside myself. I didn't. I like I said. I don't figure him to be that much of a shot blocker. You know, well, he so, he was a horrible. He was labeled as a horrible defender early in his career. Horrible. And and look, I think yeah, part of it was system. A part of it was like he just wasn't kind of. No one was making him buy in or holding him accountable. Whereas now he's in a great system with Bud. They have a great defensive unit. Drew Holiday on the perimeter. They've got Giannis floating around there as well. I mean, you Giannis and Lopez in the back line. I mean, Giannis gets his fair share of block shots and steals as well because he's so long. But yeah, Brooks, Brooks doing a fantastic job. And it's not just the 3.0 blocks. It's the verticalities and just sometimes guys will score on him, but he's, he's going to be there and make you feel it and make you earn it. And I know they factored that in with, with the data analytics of how much points he even scored or attempted in the paint um, where you play Milwaukee, you're not getting a lot of easy looks in the paint. Second in block shots for those wondering, Miles Turner at 2.5, Davis 2.4, Claxton 2.2, and Bol Bol is at 1.9. So I think it's useful. I think um, I just love seeing guys that are labeled as, you know, bad offensively or bad defensively kind of, um, you know, stump the narrative and I think he deserves that. All right, James Wiseman. Is a minus 35 in five games in the G League Pro. Useful or useless? Useful. I just don't think he's very good. And if you can't be an impact player, I, I look, we've already talked about our plus, what I think about plus minus, but that is pretty glaring when you play D League. Like one thing about it, Bogues, if you're a guy who who's an NBA player, if you're a real NBA player, you should be able to go down to the D League and not necessarily dominate. I tell players that I my even my clients that go down to the D League, I say, look, I don't care about you scoring 38 in the D League. I care about you getting to your spots effortlessly. Defensively, you need to be a, a difference maker. 
you know, even if you're not a good defender at the NBA level, you got to be a defensive, you know, you, you got to be almost dominating defensively just because of your brain and what you've been going against. And you got to be able to get to the rim easily. Those are like the three things that I look at. If you're a minus 35, that's telling me something. I don't give a fuck how bad your team is. I don't even know their record. And they're usually a pretty good D-League team. You know, um, the San, uh, Santa Cruz. San Jose. I forgot the team. Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, yeah. So, like, they're usually a pretty good organization, a good team. Regardless, if you're an NBA player and you're supposed to be this guy that, like, everyone's saying that you're the next, you know, really big thing in Golden State once all these guys move on and you're a minus 35, I think you need to, to you know, I think you need to re- rethink your career. If you're a minus 35 in the D League and you can't make an effort like that and, and, and impact winning at the D League level, you know, it's ridiculous. Like, remember, remember like Wandale last year? You know, he came down for the Spurs. I remember I had dinner with him the night before his game against Dallas at the Legends. And we had this conversation and he dominated, like, dominated. And he's a guy that's like a second unit NBA guy. Wiseman's supposed to be an all star level talent. And this guy's a minus 35. Yeah, affect winning. That's a big thing. Like you, you can have a ten and ten night or a fifteen and five night, which aren't aren't numbers that jump off the page. But your very presence out there should be, you know, affecting winning. And I think that's what the team, what Golden State's looking for: affect winning. You know, protect the paint. Um, have a bad shooting night, but still affect winning. You're still playing in the game, and you're affecting winning. You can have it, but don't have a bad shooting night and mope and 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 not be good defensively, and then get a minus thirty five in five games. That's that's inexcusable. Um, and look, yes, uh, uh, an argument to the contrary is that maybe he's playing with guys that aren't that good. Maybe they're not playing well. It's not it's a team game, but you're number you're number two pick going out of the G League. You better you know I don't care if you're getting twenty and ten. You better help them win some games regardless. Your presence should do that. So I think it's useful. Last one, bro. This is interesting. Do you know who the best three point shooters in the Eastern Conference are right now? <sighs> Let me guess here. Now it might have changed because there's been a, a, a row of games, but I'll give you a tip, bro. Mm-hmm. They're all on one team. <laughs> really? No shit. They're all best three-point shooters in the Eastern Conference are all on one team. And out of the whole league, the top, out of the top 15 three-point shooters in the league, six are on the same team. That's crazy. What team do you think I'm talking about? Well, the only reason why I'm going to say the Celtics is because Sam Hauser is one of their better three-point shooters. And I knew Brogdon was high up. I didn't think he was number one. I thought I was actually. I thought I was with uh, Watanabe. Um, Watanabe from yeah. Um, no, it's Brooklyn. well. It changes day by day because there's lots of games. But it's the Boston Celtics. They have five guys well, at, at time of seeing this stat, which was a day ago. Brogdon number one at forty nine point three. Horford forty eight point eight. Houses Houser forty seven point nine. Derek White forty five point two. And Grant Williams at forty four point two. That is unbelievable, and it is it is somewhat a concern. That that's not going to last the whole season. So if I'm if I'm the Celtics, the the good thing is they're very good defensively. I'll give them that. But they win they have won some close games along the way. Um, that you know that this is historic. This is absolutely historic the, the way they're shooting the ball, and you just got to see if they can if they can maintain it. Um, and you look at Tatum and Brown; they're not even in the top 100 at the moment in <laughs> three point shooting. So an amazing stat and one one you don't see very often. I know the Eastern Conference thing makes it a bit more 
you know, you, oh yeah, whatever. But top top five out of five. But they got six of the top fifteen shooters in the league on that roster. That's a pretty amazing. Pro. I think it's very useful. But I do have a concern because they're going to dry up eventually, and we'll see what happens because they're, they're they're having a historical historical season shooting the ball, which is which is quite amazing. Folks, it's just you know, it's funny that they're sort of like watching Golden State when you played for them. Even after that, obviously when they were good too, like when you moved on, but like they're just the way they play and the way they share the ball and the way they just sort of like like a well-oiled machine. And it's just it's pretty to watch, you know. And you know me, I'm just trying to search out really good basketball to watch. And you watch them. I don't care if you like Tatum or not, or Brown or not, you know, um, their new coach or not. I mean, the fucking ball moves, and they just shoot the shit out of it. And like you said, it's not even Tatum and Brown. It's everybody else. Hauser, they they found him. I think he was like, I think he was working at a snow cone factory or something. I don't know where the fuck they found him. <laughs> and this guy's like leading almost like top five in the NBA in three-point shooting. It's amazing. And, you know, and, and, and obviously Brogdon and doing what he's doing and even Horford shooting a three, like – it's amazing that they have this run and, and they just shoot the shit out of it. And you watch them play, Bogues, like everything they throw up, you think it has a chance to go in. It's crazy. And they don't have any like crazy three-point shooter that you think of like a Steph or a Clay. They just have all these guys who could just like consistently make shots though. And um, it's ama- it's unbelievable that, you know, that stat you throw out. I, I didn't know that at all. I wouldn't even guess, but it's a pretty, pretty cool deal. Five for five on useful stats, bro. I'm, I'm winning this <laughs> week. Yeah. What do you have? Which which train is getting fired this week, folks? Let's let's title it up with this. I'm gonna enter it now. NBA shooters, the trainers that are getting fired. Dun dun dun. Trey Man's trainer. Sorry, buddy. Uh, shut off your Instagram. Get a sh- uh, get a shooting for dummies book. And bring it to Oklahoma City because Trey Man needs it. Um, my man right now is shooting thirty-eight point one from the field, sixty-four point seven from the line, and twenty-eight point eight from three. And Jalen Suggs uh, uh, returns as a back-to-back giver to this award. Uh, Jalen Suggs is averaging forty-one nine. Just go out and make a layup and just get the fuck out of the game just to get out of this club. But 41-9, 65-7 from the line, 29.4. Fellas, if you're seeing three rims before you shoot, aim for the fucking one in the middle. All right? Aim for the one in the middle because right well, ask now- LeBron. Ask LeBron. Yeah. Ask- Remember he had a game where he, he said he was seeing three rims? Yeah. Aim <laughs> for the he, one in the middle. When he, when he made that big three? Yeah. 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 Did uh, so Cody is it Cody or Kobe? Kobe White is it Cody White? Cody White got Kobe out of there. Kobe White, yeah, Kobe White. Hold on, let me look Kobe at him White, right now. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Kobe White. Um, he graduated. On. He may have graduated, or just like he may not even played enough games. Kobe White right now is at forty point four sixty nine and thirty two eight. So um, he's shooting he over thirty from the three. So he did escape. Yes. He did escape. He graduated the pro yeah. program of trainer firings. Is. Yeah, Shooters for Dummies books. Uh, you know, go to shooters, shootersfordummies.com, order yourself everything on the fucking menu. 
this could be the first segment we get a cease and desist letter for pro, and I like it. So um, we're going to continue on with it. But Appreciate it. Let's wrap up with some fact or fake news. All right, fact or fake news. Bogues, I read somewhere where people were given, I think it was Stephen A., Jay Williams maybe was giving, um, because of his like uptick in stats, Anthony Davis should be in consideration for MVP. So do you believe? Oh, fake news. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't even I don't even care what you're going to say next. Yeah. I, I, I got no defense, brother. I'm not OJ's lawyers, motherfucker. I'm not fucking defending him. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> asking your opinion. That's, that's preposterous. That's preposterous. That is preposterous. Like, that is, yeah. that is ridiculous. Like, they, they suck. Even though they've won some games, um, Davis had some real good games the last couple of nights. But, yeah, you, for him to be in, in consideration, he needs to be playing well. They need to be somewhere in the middle of the Western Conference at least. Let's... Put me, put him at five, six, seven for him to, for me to even think of that. But uh, and still, they still got a pretty good roster as far as star power goes. I don't think it fits well, but um, I don't, I don't think they're near, you know, a Tatum or a or a uh, Booker that we just spoke about for Player of the Month. So fake news that one to the death. Folks, you know, keep reading up on this uh, Clipper deal, and these guys that never play together, um, you know, George and Leonard. Never play together anymore. You know, obviously because he's hurt and Leonard's getting that knee back or whatever quad, whatever he's hurt. And um, I'm just going to ask, um, they're both going to be healthy by uh, by playoff time. I know it's a dumb question because it's health and obviously you don't want to jinx anybody, but like this is getting a little bit – we're almost 30 games. We're 30 games in or so almost and they're not healthy, man. And it's just a weird situation. So my question is, both these guys are going to be healthy come playoff time. Well, I, I hope it's, I'm going to say fact, just because they're babying him to that point, mm-hmm. um, which I, some would argue you have to do. But I've, I've punched the numbers in to the Google machine and they've played four games together this season, pro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> four games. They're minus 38 with their two stars on the court together. Uh, that's from ESPN Stats and Information Research, so thank you to them. But I'd love to get a number. I'll, I might dig into that. Um, Kawhi Leonard has 84 games played with Paul George in his career. So there you go. They've been. This is their fourth year together, is it? Or th- the fourth? Uh, right? Third? Is it third? Bubble. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, championship 18, 19, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. So yeah, third year. So yeah, it's not a lot of games. It's, it's you know a third of the games together. So, um, look, everyone knows my stance on it. They need to play together. They need, they need to get rhythm together. They need to find out their strengths and weaknesses and, and when to go and when not to go and all that fun stuff. So I'll say fact, they're going to be healthy for the playoffs, but I, I still I don't – I'm off the – I had them picked as a championship favorite and I'm, I'm kind of way off that. I don't, I don't think they have enough continuity together to, 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 to edge out tough playoff series. Bogues, I, I got fake news on this. I think they're not going to be. I don't think this Kawhi Leonard, and I got no intel, just sort of my, just sort of what I'm seeing and what I'm just thinking. I think this knee is not very good with Kawhi. I, I, I know they're babying him, but even to that, this point, there's something going on, in my opinion, with that knee. It just, it doesn't smell right. Something tells me that, like, Something's going on there, and I don't know. I don't know what it could be, but like, 
you would thought that this guy would have played a lot more games after this point. Not like every night. Obviously, you know they're going to baby it, but like there's something going on. And and I think I don't think he's going to be healthy by come playoff time. I don't. I think this is an ongoing thing. I don't know what it, it is. Like I said, I don't have that intel, but I I don't like what I'm seeing in my opinion. So I'm going to say fake news. I don't think they're going to be healthy for that. Um, I'm just going to ask about, and I know we talked about the third one. Um, the Bulls will pull a trigger on uh, Westbrook and two pick deal for you know for Fusevic and um, and DeRozan. Fact or fake news? Oh, uh, it's hard to say specifically to a team. I think the Bulls are going to blow it up. Fact of that, but um, specifically to that deal. I mean, who's saying no to it? Um, they get to wipe Westbrook off the books at the end of the season. He'll still put bums on seats in a tanking team. I, I mean, I'm doing it. I'm clearing. I'm clearing, clearing space and just going for the Victor sweepstakes. So I'm going to say fact that they'll do. They'll do it. Yeah, I'm going fact, and th- yeah, I mean, they get their own pick. I, I'm not even sure if they have their own pick though, folks. Because remember, they threw a shitload the Lakers. of picks. Um, no, no they, um, if, Chicago. I don't know Chicago. if they have their own pick okay. because because of the Orlando trade with Vucevic. I got to look that up. Of course, I never let facts fuck up a good story, but I I don't know that for sure if they have their own pick. But um, does I'm it work go, with does it West does Westbrook pick throwing for Vucevic and Drozen work though? What's up? Somewhere along those lines, it would that would, would like a Westbrook. Maybe a second round pick and like a throw in of another role player for DeRozan and Vucevic work that doesn't have to somewhat match salaries. Well, Westbrook's um, on a lot of money, though, yeah. Right? So, West, so right now, right now, as it as it looks like, so the Lakers with uh Westbrook salary wise, um, so right now Westbrook makes 47 million. Okay, so we go back to Chicago. He makes forty-seven million, and now Vucevic makes um, twenty-two million. I remember he signed that like sort of cap-friendly deal, and then you throw in DeRozan. So DeRozan's at twenty-seven million. So yeah, it works. Forty-nine million to forty-seven, um, and they get they get picks in the future, and then they get cap relief. You know, with those two guys, they don't have to pay. Um, I don't know how much more that they're going for. DeRozan's got um DeRozan's got one more year at twenty-eight point six. And Vucevic has salary wise, he's got he's a he's a free agent after this year. He's at twenty-two million this year. Uh, I don't think they extended him. So they got some relief. They don't have to sign Vucevic long term and they could just sort of go future. The problem, folks. That comes up. We talked about a Levine, and then like their young guys, they don't really have a lot of great young players. Patrick Williams has been a disappointment again, averaging ten and four after every other after every other day. You hear in the paper that he thinks he's a you know a, a go to guy. Um, yeah, he's a go to guy. Go to the fucking lottery if he's your top player. So um, I don't really see. I don't really see and plus Donovan just got signed for an extension uh this this past offseason. So I don't think I mean I think he cares, but I like hey look, he's got you know, they've obviously gonna have him as a coach of the future. So he could roll with a with a although I've heard he doesn't really want to do a rebuild, but 
What are you going to do? Uh, the Levine will be the thing, what, what they do at Levine. They'll probably dump him for, you know, young, a couple of young players and some, some picks. So if they do decide to go down this road, Pogues, I just don't think, I don't see where this, this, this ends well for them. If Ball's injury is going to be a problem, no doubt about it. And then, you know, DeRozan's getting older and, and Vucevic and, you know, I don't know. I say, um, Again, another fucking way longer story than it should have been in a spiel on my end, but I don't think uh, – yeah, I think that they're going to do it in a second. I think that they'll they'll blow it up. It's funny. Bill Simmons wrote about that first, but I think he just – if I'm not mistaken, I just think he threw it out of thin air. He's like, they should do this. And then fucking Zach Lowe um, reported that it was like a legit deal. Picked like, it up. Yeah. It's, hey, good for Bill Simmons, man. Throwing a trade out of fucking thin air and fucking doing it. And then I think, yeah, either way, if the trade doesn't happen with LA, it's going to happen. The the Bulls are going nowhere fast. They might as well blow that thing up and and get in the Victor sweepstakes and and build some young players and play the young guys and see who they want to build around. I mean, DeRozan's getting no younger. Vucevic, same. Um, Levine's probably going to want to get out once he figures out they're blowing the thing up. And then who knows when Ball's going to play again. So they're they're in a bad state. But... uh, We'll see where that all goes. Another episode in the books. Thanks to everyone for joining us. Give us a feedback. Let us know um, your thoughts on the podcast. Check out Mike on all his public on all his social media uh, channels at Hoop Consultants. And if you've got any film you need cut or whatnot, um, even for for younger kids, if you want some advice, I'm sure you can find his website and send some stuff in. And he'll be happy to help you. And we are on at Rogue Bogues on all social media platforms. Um, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, bro. All right, folks, we'll see you guys next week. Let's get rogue.